0: Are you excited about your future yet? Start in with what God has laid on my heart and I'm so excited about it. Yes, you can be seated. I need my Bible. Okay. Um I'm going to share a scripture that I know that every one of you knows so well. You probably have it hanging on a plaque in your house somewhere. And if you don't have it on a plaque, I know that somewhere in your house you have a bookmark with this scripture on it. Because it's just one of the most common. If you've been to church three times in your life, it's likely that somebody was preaching on this scripture. But, like I said, several months ago as I was reading this scripture, the Lord showed me something so powerful about it that it's changing me. It's changing me. I'm getting a hold of it. And I'm believing God about my
1: future. Well, I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa-oh-oh. I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa-oh-oh. I'm walking on sunshine. I'm walking on sunshine. And it's gonna feel good. Woo! Okay. All right. This scripture
0: is Jeremiah 29 11. Just say it with me because I know that you know it. You don't even have to turn to it. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future. Well, I'm
1: walking on sunshine. Whoa, ho, ho. I'm walking on sunshine. Whoa, ho, ho. I'm walking on sunshine. i going to feel good. Woo!
0: To give you future. Don't have to do it now. And hope. And hope. Okay, so, so like I said, we all know that scripture. You've seen, it, you've seen it a million times. You've heard it. But I'm going to tell you, what I want to share with you is a few, a few words after that and a few words before that. And let me just um, give you a little bit of history. Jeremiah was a prophet in that day. And he was actually prophesying this word from God to the Israelites. To, and they had been exiled out of Jerusalem. Now, if you know that whenever the Bible refers, when the Old Testament is talking about Israelites, in the Old Testament, that's us. When we became Christians, see the Israelites were God. The Israelites were God's people. Well, as Christians today, in the New Testament, we are God's people. So they were. He was prophesying to the Israelites. They had been exiled out of Jerusalem because, you remember, Jerusalem had been burned down. And they had all exiled. And these particular uh, Israelites and his people that he's talking to are now exiled into Babylon. Okay? Now, anytime you hear the word Babylon in the Old Testament, that refers in our day, in our world, to the world. Babylon represents the world, the secular world that we live in. That's what Babylon was, okay? Okay? So now I want to just kind of set that stage. So Jeremiah is prophesying to them, and, so, and he is telling them that the Lord has a future
2: for well, you. I'm walking
1: on sunshine. Whoa, ho, ho. I'm on sunshine. Whoa, ho, ho. I'm i I'm going to feel good.
0: Woo! Okay. Um, okay, y'all don't have to do it anymore for a while. I know you're tired. Okay. I will never make it through the evening. Um, but anyway, so this is what he's saying. So now this is what I want to ask you. We've all heard that word. So now was that word that Jeremiah spoke, is that for every single Christian in the world right now? Does it automatically apply to us? We're all saying yes. I'm going to ask you one more time. Does it automatically apply to us? No. No is the right answer. And that's what the Lord showed me in his word. He showed me who this word applies to. This is who it applies to. Because then you got to read the rest of the scripture. Okay. I'm going to read it again. And then I'm going to go a little further. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. You will find me when you seek me, if you look for me in earnest. If you look for me in earnest. See, that tells you who this word applies to. If you are looking for the Lord, if you are seeking the Lord, I looked up the word earnest. And, uh, in one place it means seriously. In another place it, it says with all of your heart. In one place it says diligently. If you are seeking him in earnest. Now I just got to come down here. I want to tell you a story. Anytime that I see the word seek in the Bible, every time I see it, and tomorrow we're really going to talk about a lot of scriptures, I had no idea that there were so many scriptures in the word of God about seeking the Lord, and it tells all the promises that come with it, and that's what we're going to do tomorrow. But um, anytime I read a scripture that has the word seek in it, I can't help but think of my, I have three boys, they're all, um, they're all grown now, they're 30, 28 and 26 But when they were growing up, um, Easter was a huge celebration at our house And basically my mother had started this tradition She lived out on Lake Palestine and um, she had a huge yard We had um, a big, a, a huge um, porch and then there was just a huge yard that went out, and then there was the lake. And so every Easter, from the time that they were little until, until I won't tell you how old they were when we stopped this tradition, because they would be very embarrassed, but you'll get the idea before the story's over. We would go out. We would always have a, a big lunch. We would go to church, and then we would come home, and we would always go out to bombs and we would have a huge lunch. And then... There was a, we would have so much fun hiding the Easter eggs. And we did every kind of egg. We would do eggs that we had dyed and decorated. We would do plastic eggs. We would do chocolate eggs. We did every kind of egg. And that's how it started out when they were young. But as they got older, really, it got more fun. About the time, you know, 12 and 13, when most kids had outgrown Easter egg hunting, that's when we just got started. Because what my mom and I would do is we would start like a month before. This was like Christmas at our at our house. We would go out and we would shop for things that would fit in eggs, and we put all kinds of things in the eggs. We would we would put a, a little, you know, some was a dud egg, and it would just be a piece of chocolate. Or we would go to the movies and we would get movie tickets and we would get jewelry or we would anything that would fit in an egg and sometimes we'd get those really big eggs. We would put some money in. one would just be maybe a couple quarters and some would be, a, you know, a $5 bill, some would be a $20 bill. We'd go get a lottery ticket. Y'all don't judge me. You know, you've bought one too. Anyway, we would put a lottery ticket in some of the eggs every once in a while or we would put, uh, then we would always have one that was a $20 bill. And so we filled those eggs with treasures, with things that they would really want and um, uh, gift certificates from their favorite restaurants. And so this thing began to grow. So all of, not only my boys came, they, were all, they went to Bullard, and they were all athletes, and they played football, and they were on the track team. And, and so it started being that all of their friends wanted to come to the Todd's house to have an Easter egg hunt because they knew that there were some treasures that they might get a hold of. And then not only was there a treasure in the egg, then we had prizes we had a prize for the person who found the most eggs we had a prize for the person who found the least amount of eggs we had a prize for the person who had the prettiest egg we just made up reasons to give prizes and so we would have 12 or 15 kids boys and all their girlfriends would come and and so it was a big deal and so what and so we would have a big lunch on the inside and then we would make all of them go in the house And me and my mom would go out and we would hide those eggs. I mean, we would just hide them all the way out to the lake, all around, just everywhere that we could find a place, just hundreds of eggs. Now, I'm just going to tell you that we did this until my youngest son was a senior. That means the two older boys were already in college, coming home for the Easter egg hunt with all their friends. And so, and and here was the only rule, you had to bring an Easter Easter basket. So here come 15 teenagers with little Easter baskets. They're little pink Easter baskets and blue Easter baskets, but they got into it. And so, at the right time, after we had hidden those eggs, we'd call them all out on the porch, and we would tell them, go. And I'm telling you, I mentioned they were athletes, right? They took this seriously. Seriously. They were very competitive. They took out on a run. And I mean, they were hunting eggs, and they were putting them in that basket just as fast as they could. And I mean, you could see one reach for an egg, and somebody else would just come right in and snatch it out from under them. I mean, I have seen the egg fumbled, and somebody else recovered it. I mean, they were. this was serious business. And so after they had, way, they had looked and looked, and they were sure that there was not one le- egg left, they would come back up on the porch and we would count the eggs to see who the winners were and so we would give so then we you know it was just as much fun you know we had this little ceremony of giving the prizes away so we'd give the prizes to the like i said the most egg and then you know there was always some the the person who found the least amount of eggs you know it was always a girl she was the shy girl and this was her first time to be there she didn't know quite what to expect so she might just have two eggs But you know what, she got a prize for that. So no one went home empty-handed. Everybody was happy. Some of the guys got some jewelry, but they just gave it to the girls and they traded out. So this was, I mean, this was a fun time. Now let me tell you something. Why would college-age boys and a senior in high school come home to Granny's house and hunt eggs? Because they expected to find something. They expected that there would be something really good for them. It was worth carrying around an Easter basket and making a fool out of yourself because you might get the prize egg. You might get the one with the winning lottery ticket. Or you might get the one with the, the, you know, the roadhouse ticket, gift coupon. I think that we can so relay that to the world that we live in right now. America is full of Christians. Our churches are full of Christians. They've been saved. But are we seeking the Lord? I mean, do we seek the Lord like they were seeking that Easter egg? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we giving up our time from the TV? Will we turn off a sitcom so that we can go have 30 minutes in the presence of the Lord? Will we get up 30 minutes early? Just so that we can sit in the presence of the Most High God and we can seek Him. Most of us are not doing that. And you know why? Because we don't really remember or we don't really know. We're not convinced that it's worth it. Is there really worth it for me to give up my 30 minutes of sleep because I really need it? And you know what? That sitcom, you know, that just relaxes me. And I worked hard, and I just need to sit here and chill. Is the benefit of that greater? Is it really worth it? That's what I believe with all of my heart. That's what the Lord was showing me. If you seek me in earnest, if you will hunger for me, if you will thirst for me, if you will cry out for me, if you will give up a meal, when is the last time that we fasted? When is the last time that we have sought the Lord with all of our heart, with earnest? Because God is saying, if you will seek me, you will find me. You know, it's just like whenever we hid the eggs. Now, you know what? We didn't hide those eggs hard. I mean, you know, what do you do? You just got an open yard with a few trees. You put them in the tree branches and you put them around the flower pots and the rest of them. You just lay them out in the yard. It really wasn't hard to find them. You just had to go get them. And that's the way God is. He's not hiding from us. He's not, he's not difficult to find. He just wants you to come and seek him. And he says, when you seek me, I will be found of you. I will be found of you. I'll be right there. I'll be found of you. What does it mean? How, what does it mean to be? if we find him? What kind of benefit is there to finding him? because when we are convinced in our heart that it's worth it that's when we will seek him that's when it will be worth for us to give up other things we'll give we'll give up Some time with our friends. We'll give up that TV. We'll give up 30 minutes of sleep. We'll give up a meal or two. Just to sit in His presence. Just to hear His voice. Just to worship Him. When we are convinced with everything in us. It is worth it. It is worth it to be in His presence. Because what's going to happen? The song that we just sing. His presence is heaven to me. Is it? Is it? Let me just... Now I want to go back and I want to read a little something before that. I'm going to read verse 10. Verse 10 never gets read. It says, and I'm reading out of the Living Bible. It says, the truth is this. Now again, let me remind you, this is Jeremiah prophesying what God has told him. He says, the truth is this. You will be in Babylon for a lifetime. But then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I have promised. Now, let me back up. What did I tell you that Babylon represented? The world. Now, let me tell you, back then, these people of God didn't want to be in Babylon. They wanted to be back home in Jerusalem. But you know what God was saying? He was saying, the truth is this, you're not going back right now. You're going to spend your lifetime in Babylon. And you know what? We are in Babylon. Right now, we are in our Babylon. We are in this world, our lifetime. Whatever our lifespan is. Some of us are going to have a longer lifespan than the others. Sometimes, you know, your, life, um, your lifetime might be 95 years and mine might be 60. Or, or we don't know what our lifetime is. But God is saying, the truth is this. You live in this world. You live in this world for a lifetime. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I promised. Now, do you know what he's promised? Do you know what he's promised? Well, one thing that he's promised is a good
1: hope and a future. Well, I'm walking on sunshine. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. I'm walking on sunshine. I'm walking on sunshine. oh-oh-oh, And don't I feel good? Hey, that's one thing that he's
0: promised. But do you know some other things that he's promised? Well, if you don't, then you need to know. And you need to read, and you need to memorize, and you need to get in your spirit the entire book of Deuteronomy. Because the entire book of Deuteronomy is about the promises of God to Abraham and Jacob. And to all of their ancestors, which happens to be us. Which happens to be us. And that, I, I looked over it again today. I don't have time to go there. And I don't have time to share it. But I just looked over it today. And getting ready for this. and got so excited. Because it's full of promises of what God will do for the person who loves him and obeys him and seeks him. It's so full of amazing. All those good things. I love it. I want you to hear the word All. All of the good things that I promised. He's got some good things for you. Some amazing things for you. And do you know that so many of us as as Christians. I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to us as Christians. Do you know that some of us will live and die. And never know the plans that God had for us. Because we got saved and we sit on a pew but we never sought Him. We never cried out to Him. We never said, God, what do you have for me? God, what is it that you want me to do? How, what is it you want to set me free from? What is it, Lord? We will never know the plans that He has for us, the future that He has for us, if we don't seek Him. You know, just recently I was talking to uh, one of my girlfriends and she was telling me about... Her daughter, she, she's a single mom, and she couldn't afford a car for her daughter. And so we had, we had been together, a few of us, and we were praying that God would provide a car for her daughter. Well, just within a few weeks, her uncle just bought her a car. And he was going to give that car to her on a specific night. She didn't know about it. Now, her mother knew that on this particular night they were going to come over and they were going to present her with this car. So her mom is just so excited. The uncle's excited. They all love her. This is a precious teenage girl. And they were so excited just to be able to give her this car and knew how excited that she was going to be. But, you know, she didn't have a plan. She didn't have a clue about that car. Didn't have a clue. All she thought is she was going to Uncle Bob's house for dinner. And it probably didn't even want to go because what teenager girl wants to go to Uncle Bob's? She probably wanted to be out with some friends or, you know, doing something else. She had no clue what the plan was for her that night. But her mom said, come on, we're going. And she went. And God had something so spectacular for her. She left there crying Hanging on to that steering wheel, so thankful for the gift that God had given her. Guys, sometimes we miss the gift that God has for us. Sometimes we just never seek it, it just goes right by us. God had something right there with your name on it. He was just waiting, He was just waiting, and He's like, This is yours. TV, oh, oh she wants to sleep, oh my gosh, she's going out with friends, I just wanted her to have this I just had this great thing that you've been wanting it's been the desire of your heart but you never spend any time with me you go to church and you sit in the pew and you sing the songs but you haven't come into my presence to hear what I wanted to whisper to you you, you have it coming so long. And I have so many good gifts for you. I have such a bright, bright future for you. But, but you, you don't even know about it. And, and, and you just go on. And you just go on. And you know, sometimes, I just want you to think about it. When's the last time that you have just sit in his presence? There was something good that came from it. Maybe you don't remember what it was. Maybe it was so long ago you've forgotten. Or maybe it was just today and you know it was good. And you can't wait to be there again tomorrow. You can't wait to get into His presence. You just can't wait. You know, I just want to talk to you about what it means to get into His presence. You know, it's a little bit different from us all. One of my favorite things in the world is worship. Praise and worship. Oh my gosh. I can—I My favorite thing in the world... Is especially in church, I just love to sit on the, the, the front of the, of the church and have the band going, and that's worshiping God and tuning everything else out around me and just praising Him. I can't tell you how many times during that moment, he has whispered words that made me free. He has assured me, he has spoke to me, he's given me courage, he's given me hope. But, you know, you don't only have to do it at church. You can have that same time at your house. You can have it in your car. That's just one way is to be a worshiper. That's one way to seek Him earnestly. Another way is you have got to open up the Word of God. And you can't just do it when you come to church or you come to a retreat. You've got to open up that Word. You've got to devour it. You've got to eat it. You've got to love the Word of God. You know, I'm not about being legalistic. I was raised in a very legalistic um church and and um and I love I love so much of of some of it that I learned. But you know, everything was a sin, everything. I went I was in the old-fashioned thing that I mean, if you wore jewelry and you wore makeup, it was a sin. And as you can tell, I like jewelry and makeup. So that was uh, hard for me. But um So I'm not talking about being legalistic. But sometimes you have to start out by just being obedient. It may not feel good. It may not be what you want to do. I can remember when I was in my 20s, I started getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to spend an hour with the Lord. My kids were little. And you know, I would get up and I made that commitment to the Lord. And do you know for the first four months... I'd get up and I went into this room that I had and I'd start talking to the Lord and like 10 minutes into that I'd fallen asleep. And I'd wake up. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm here. I'm here. And I did that again and I did that again and I did that again. But do you know eventually I got to where I could stay awake. I was just doing it out of obedience because I knew how important it was. For most of my life, I have kept that practice. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it. Because, you know, that's the only thing that got me through some things in my life. Is being in His presence. Being in His presence. Worshiping. Opening up the Word of God and letting it speak to me. In those difficult times. Letting Him just remind me that He loved me no matter what reminded me that I had a hope and I had a future, no matter what. That my kids had a hope and a future. So the, I just want to encourage you to find your place and your time. And I'm not saying be legalistic about it, but I am saying begin. If you don't already have a time and a place, Another place that I love to spend time with the Lord is in my car. I have an hour for lunch almost every single day. And I love to go sit out in my car. And I will listen to T.D. Jakes or or Hill. What's his name? No. Pastor Hill. I can't think of his name. Anyway, I'll just listen to one of them, some preacher. I let them sow the word of God into me, or I open up the word of God, or I put in a favorite CD. And I just sit in in the I, I used to move my car, but now I have a really good parking place, and so I don't want to lose my place, so I just stay there. And I just know that my coworkers think I'm crazy because they all like, pass me, and here I'm in my car just raising my hands and praising God. Sometimes I'm crying. I, I just try not to look up so I don't know if they saw me or not. What is it? I just am. I, the thing that I want to say to you is find a place to seek Him, and then I want you to go there with an expectation. With an expectation. Find a place in your house. Find a room or a chair or the dining room. Wherever your favorite place in the house is. And dedicate it. And say, Lord, this is for me and you. And Lord, I want us to just, I just want us to have an appointment. Every morning or whatever your time is. It doesn't have to be in the morning. You might be a night owl. I don't know when your time is. It might be at lunch. I don't know when your time is, but I want you to set an appointment. And you know, this is what I have found. God will honor that. God will honor that. When you just show up, His presence will just be there. You don't have to work your way into it. I just sometimes close that door in my car. And the Lord is there. And I could just say, Lord, I thank you. I praise you. I praise you that I have a job. I praise you that I'm healthy enough to have a job. I thank you that I have a home. I thank you. And just begin to praise Him and worship Him and seek Him and say, God, I want you. I don't just want every good thing you can give me, although I want those things too. But I want you. I want your heart. I want to love people the way you love people. I want you to set me free. I want you to set me free. Okay. There's more to come. All right. If you will, if you, well, you will, I'm sorry. You will find me when you seek me, if you look for me in earnest. Now, I love this next part. Because you got to remember, this is God giving Jeremiah a word. And it's like God himself got excited as he was saying it. Because he says, yes, says the Lord, I will be found of you. He's already said it once. But he says it again. He says, yes, I will be found by you. And I will end your slavery. And I will restore your fortunes. I will end your slavery. Oh, my gosh. Ladies, you came in here tonight and you're enslaved to some things. And I know you are because every one of us are. We are enslaved to things. We are enslaved to insecurities. We are enslaved to fear. We're enslaved to worry. We're enslaved to all kinds of things. And God is saying, if you seek me, I will end your slavery. I'm going to tell you something. I came from a long, long line of alcoholics. I always have to share this when I'm telling my story. When I tell you I came from a long line, my daddy is an alcoholic. My brother is an alcoholic and completely lost and homeless on drugs. My daddy's mother and daddy were alcoholics. He had a brother and a sister and they were alcoholics and or on drugs I, I had five cousins on my daddy's side. All of them have been on drugs, alcoholics, many of them in prison. My mother had two brothers who were on drugs and alcoholics. I had seven cousins on my mother's side, of whom all were either an alcoholic or on drugs or both had one uncle that shot another uncle, had an aunt who left my uncle for another woman. I'm telling you that Jerry Springer could have stayed on six more months if he had just contacted me. I could have kept him going another six months with my family. It was chaos. With alcohol and drugs come a whole lot of dysfunction. And that's an understatement. A whole lot of lying and cheating and going to jail and fighting and dysfunction. Now, somehow or another, I had a precious little mama. And if you noticed, I didn't say she was an alcoholic. Because even though she was born into alcohol and her brothers were an alcoholic, and she married an alcoholic, that's all she knew. That's who she was comfortable with. My mama was not an alcoholic. As a matter of fact, she had an encounter with God when she was eight months pregnant with me while she sat on her couch. Whenever she told the Lord because she was living in a house with no electricity, my daddy was not a functional alcoholic. He couldn't keep a job. And when he did work for a few days, he drank it all up. Every penny that he made. And she was sitting on the couch pretty much feeling sorry for herself with no electricity while my daddy was out at the bar. And she was eight months pregnant with me. And she told God she had went to church a few um, years of her teenage life. A pastor and his wife would come and get my mother and take her to church. And so she had a few years of letting the word of God be sown into her and she had gotten saved. But she had gotten away from God and, of course, married an alcoholic and was living in all of this chaos. And she was sitting there pregnant with me, and she said, God, I'm about to bring a baby into this world. And there, she's never going to have a nice house, and she's never going to have a, a college education, and she's never even going to go to a decent school. And, and, I mean, I don't know what I can offer this child. The only thing that I can offer this child and the only hope that I have is that I will take it to church so that she can, he or she, at that time you didn't know what you were going to have, so that they can know you. And that's the only chance that this child will ever have. My mama died a few years ago and she's with Jesus, but I can't hardly tell this story without saying, thank you, God. There was no better gift that my mother could have given me. There's no house that we could have lived in. There's no college education that I could have gotten. There is nothing better than what my mother gave me. Because I was raised going to church. By the time that I was three or four years old, I can remember being at an altar and we would sing this song. I don't know if any of you remember it. Jesus, come into my heart. Anybody remember that little kid song? And all the little kids would line up at the altar every Sunday. And I can remember being three or four years old and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. And oh my gosh, I had every kind of chaos around me, every kind of dysfunction around me. My safe place was church. I loved Sunday morning. I loved Sunday night and I loved Wednesday night because I got to step out of the dysfunction. I had to step out Of the hell. and I got to come into the presence of the Lord. Now Satan had a plan for me when I was born, just like he did the whole rest of my family. I figure that he pretty much thought he had—he wasn't going to have to work very hard. I was going to be a drug addict or an alcoholic, just like the rest. Why wouldn't I be? Well, see, thank God. I didn't want any part of that. I saw how crazy that was. I saw that dysfunction and I I hated it. Hated to be in the presence of it. I didn't want anything to do with it. But you know what? So Satan had to have a plan B to destroy me because see, he he has a plan to destroy every single one of us. Just like God has a plan for our hope and our future, Satan has a plan to kill, steal, and destroy every single one of us. And so you know what? I, I was. This is what happened. I hated drugs and I hated alcohol. But I was the most insecure little girl you've ever seen in your life. I was. Now don't laugh. And don't, I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. I'm just going to tell you I was the ugliest little girl you've ever seen. That is the God's earnest truth. I had severe acne by the time I was 11 years old. Severe acne. I have which I'm hiding it now, thank God, because now we have straight irons and product. But I have this kinky curly hair. I'm talking it's kinky and it's not pretty. And I had this severe acne and I was skinny as a rail. I was one ugly homeless little girl. I was so insecure about that. I couldn't have friends spend the night with me because I didn't know what would happen in my house. I didn't know if my daddy would come home and make, you know, a fool of himself. I didn't know if we were going to even have electricity. I didn't know. I was so insecure. I was a nervous Nellie. I mean, I was a nervous little... I was afraid of my own shadow. I'm not kidding. I was so nervous. My granny... We called her my fat granny. That was my daddy's mother. She lived out. She was the best cook in the world, and she was a little fat lady, and so we called her fat granny. And she lived out on the river. And I can remember that you had to go down. She lived up here, and the river was down a hill. And when you went down that hill, it just went, you know, straight down, and you could see the water. And I loved to go to my fat granny's house because I was going to get some, you know, biscuits and gravy and I wanted to go down to the river. But when we got in the car to drive down there, I would have to get in the back seat in the floorboard because I was so scared that we would just go into the water. For some reason or another, my daddy wasn't going to be able to stop the car and we were going to go into the water. I was oppressed with fear. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of people. I was afraid of everything everything. I lived in such fear. I was not a little girl with joy or peace. I was afraid. I was insecure. I was embarrassed about who I was. Because see, when you go to church, everybody else looks like they have it together. Everybody else is smiling and all the other kids, you know, they live in nice houses and they have on cute dresses and and, and I didn't have that. I loved God and I loved His presence, but I was still so insecure. I was a compulsive liar. An absolute compulsive liar. Started that at a very young age. I did not, I was in my 20s. I was um, married and I had three kids. Young, young boys at that time. I was living in Durango, Colorado for 18 months. I lived there. And I was going to this dynamic church. And I don't know how I got my hands on this book. (laughs) And it's crazy how this book would end up meaning so much to me because it was a secular book. It was a book written by Suzanne Summers, of all people. And it was called Adult Children of Alcoholics. And I don't know how I got the book, but somehow or another it got into my hands and I read it. She was an adult child of an alcoholic, just like I was. And when it described the characteristics of an adult child of an alcoholic, I thought that it was me that she was describing. It's very common for you to be a compulsive liar. I lived in a fantasy world. I, lived in a fan- I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I didn't want to deal with my real world, so I just lived in a fantasy world. Every kind of fantasy. I loved country music because that, all, that was a fantasy. I loved to read uh, romance novels because that was a fantasy. I know I'm getting real with you guys and you're like, well, you know, that's just way too much information. I'm sorry, I just, I want to be real. God has done so much for me and I'm going to tell it on the mountain. So, when I read that, that's the first time I ever identified myself as a liar. You know, liars don't think, well, I'm just a liar. You don't know that. You don't think that. But I recognized it. I recognized that the insecurity, everything that she described was me. And I began to cry out to God. I began to cry out to God. And I said, God, I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be a liar. I want you to set me free. And you know what? It was a process. It was a time. I wish I could tell you that I went to the altar and somebody laid hands on me and I never told another lie. But that's not the way it was. But as I stayed in God's presence every day, as I talked to the Lord every day, as I cried out to Him. And this is what I said. I said, Holy Spirit, you help me. And so this is what, in the beginning, this is what would happen I lied so much I didn't realize that you did. I was lying. So I would have a conversation with somebody and I would lie. And the Holy Spirit would say, well, you just lied. And I would go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Help me, Lord. So that went on for a little season there. And then it got to where I could be right in the middle of the conversation. And the Holy Spirit would say, you're lying. I'd be in the middle. I'd try to backtrack. I'm trying to I'm trying to change my mind right in the middle of it. I'm trying to change my story. And then it got to where before the words came out of my mouth, I would begin to I would begin to tell something and the Holy Spirit said, "Don't lie." "Don't lie. Is that a lie?" And it was this process, and this process, and I got better and I got better and I got better and God's grace is so amazing. And his grace is so amazing and he loved me even though I was a compulsive liar. And he helped me. And then I just remember a few months going by. And literally thinking, oh my gosh, when's the last time I told a lie? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That was a huge victory for me. It's still a victory for me. I praise God for that. See, he ended my slavery. Because I was seeking him. He ended my slavery. Well, let me tell you. That little shy girl that was so afraid of everything. I couldn't be up here doing this tonight if God hadn't have ended my slavery. I'm not afraid and I'm not bragging. I'm not bragging. I'm giving God all the glory. I'm hardly afraid of anything. You can ask my husband. You can ask my girlfriend that's here tonight. I mean, I've jumped out of airplanes and zipline. I love, I love a thrill. If it goes fast, if it goes high... It's just like i got to make up for everything I lost. Because God has set me free. He has set me free. And I know that I'm in His hands and I don't have to fear anything. Because God is with me and He is for me. He has ended my slavery. He wants to end your slavery. He wants to end your slavery. There's one more verse. It might be the best. I will end your slavery and I will restore your fortunes. I will restore your fortunes. What fortunes has Satan stole from you? What fortunes have you lost? Maybe it's finances, maybe you've lost a job, maybe you've lost a relationship, maybe it's your children. I don't know what fortunes that you've lost but I'm sure that you've lost a few because there is a Satan out there who is against you. And you've come through this door today and I know without a shadow of a doubt that you've come through the door enslaved. You've come through the door and you've lost some fortunes. And the promise tonight from our God is if you will seek me like you've never sought me before. If you will seek me. I'm not talking about one time. I'm not talking about just tomorrow. I'm talking about if you will make it a habit. If this will become your life. I'm going to end some slaveries that you didn't even know you were enslaved to. I'm going to restore to you some fortunes that you never even knew belonged to you. I've got some good promises. I've got some good things that I'm going to hand out. You're going to marvel at what I have for you. You're going to marvel at how I'm going to set you free. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be fearful. I've got some good things for you, says the Lord. I've got some great things. I've got some fortunes I want to pour out on you. If you will seek me. I'm talking seriously. I'm talking like it's an Easter egg hunt. The best Easter egg hunt you've ever been on. you got to believe that it's worth it. you got to believe that when you go, when you get up that extra 30 minutes, and you go and you find that little place for Him, you got to believe it's going to be the best 30 minutes of your day. Because you are going to meet with the Most High God, the Creator of the universe. You're going to meet with the one who created the whole entire world and he's got some secrets to whisper in your ear. He's got some love things that he just wants to say to you. He wants to give you some direction. He wants to give you some wisdom. He's going to teach you maybe how to quit lying. Maybe he wants to get you free from some things that you don't even know you're addicted to. I had to get unaddicted to fantasy. I had to lay down. I don't think there's anything wrong with country music unless you're hiding in it. And that's what I was doing. I had to lay it down. I had to hear him say, lay it down. And if I don't spend any time with him, I won't hear him say, lay it down. But if you will spend some time with him, you're going to hear him tell you some things. And you know what? Some of it's going to be hard things. He has told me some hard things over the years. Hard things that I didn't want to hear And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I didn't listen for a long time. I just, like, tuned it out. Or I said, well, Lord, yeah, I know. Someday I'm going to do that. Someday. And you know what? The longer that we wait, the only person that it hurts is us. The longer that we wait, no matter how good it makes us feel, no matter how much we love that thing, It is not better than the thing that God wants to replace with it. If you can just think of it that way, say it out loud. Say it out loud. Say, Lord, I'm addicted to this thing. I love this thing. Just like Amy was talking about earlier, those strongholds. I love this thing, Lord. He already knows your heart. Just tell him, I love it. I know you want me to let go of it and I don't want to. Will you help me? Holy Spirit, will you help me let go? And God will help you let go. He will help you let go because He hasn't called you to do anything that He won't empower you to do. So my cry to you, my prayer, and I told you I have been praying over every one of you for a month. I was praying over you today. Is that when you walk out of here, that you will have such a hunger To seek the Lord like you have never had before. That God would birth a hunger in you to seek the Lord like you have never sought Him in your life. And that your arms would be open and you would be expecting all the good promises that come along with that. You would expect that God is going to end your slavery. You would expect some fortunes to be restored. I'm going to tell you, I just want to end this tonight. And I just want to say this. If you're in this place and you know that you've got some things that God wants to end your slavery, you're enslaved to something. And you know and you just want God to end your slavery, I want you just to come up here. And I hope Amy and you have some people. And I'm going to come down too and I just want to pray with some of you and I know that she's got a prayer team. If you, have, if you are enslaved to anything, and you know, that doesn't mean that you're enslaved. I don't want you to be embarrassed. It's not worth to hang on to it because of your pride. It could be the simplest thing. But if you're enslaved to anything, I want you to come down here, and we're going to meet, and tonight is going to be the beginning of a change of your life. If you've had some fortunes, That have been stolen from you. And you want God to restore those fortunes. Whatever that is to you. I have no idea what fortunes have been stolen. But you do. You know what fortunes have been stolen. If that's you, I want you to come down here. And I just want us to pray. And we're going to believe God. That today is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Some of you may wake up tomorrow. And you may be free. Some of you may be a process. But I'm just welcoming you to come on up here and let's pray and let's believe God that we are going to end slavery. And we're going to see what God does in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place tonight. I thank you, Father, for your promise that as we seek you, we will find you. The ultimate gift, the ultimate prize, we will find you. And God, as we find you, you will end our slavery. You will restore our fortunes, God. We give you glory and we give you praise for your healing, for your miracles, for your deliverance. In Jesus' name.
1: Music